Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. I welcome everyone listening to us on the on the King's Cast. We've been doing this series for a few weeks on the the power of the Holy Spirit, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. We looked at uh, a number of things. We looked at the components of a Pentecostal church, all the things you see going on in a lively, vibrant Pentecostal church today, and we found all those things in the Bible. We then uh, went on to talk about the importance of the baptism in the Spirit, how Jesus said you mustn't do anything uh, until you've received the power from on high. And then we went on to talk about the the uh, the accompanying sign gift of that experience, speaking in other tongues, and then last week took time to talk about uh, why we uh, have this ability to speak in tongues. What's it about? What does it do? What's it for? And uh, I hope all that's been an encouragement to you. Today I want to at least begin to draw to a, to a close on this uh, season that we've had by talking about the other gifts of the Holy Spirit that are found in the scripture, which you may be uh, familiar with by experience, uh, by maybe some sort of witness of it to you. You've seen it happen or you've maybe been uh, used by God yourself in one of these areas. And um, I want to talk about these as a way of just complementing the, the series of studies that we've done. And I hope it will be a blessing to you. Um, I'm going to talk about the gifts of the Spirit today as though uh, I'm going to err on the side of people who have never heard of them before. So if you are well-schooled in all this, I'm sure you'll learn some things, but just be patient as we just unpack them, maybe for people who've never really understood them, and I may even correct or attempt to correct some misconceptions about what these gifts may or may not be. And uh, we'll talk about areas of uncertainty that we have about them, which I hope will help you. So 1 Corinthians 12, and we're going to read the first 11 verses. Now, he says, about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. So there's a good opening line. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And now we begin this section, verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. Really important is verse 6. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. I don't know if you, I just want to pick, there are different ways that people move in the spirit. Look at me a moment. I can't see you, but I, I can tell if you're looking at me or not. There are different ways, says verse 6. 
that people move in the Holy Spirit. And sometimes you may see people moving in the Holy Spirit that you don't like. Or it's not the way that you did it. Or it's not the way we did it down at Bingley Pentecostal Church or whatever. But just be aware that people flow in the Spirit in different ways. And that's in the Bible right there. There are different ways that God moves. He doesn't move in non-biblical ways. But he does move in different ways. So just be aware of that, lest you become, you know, the church policeman deciding this is God, this is not God. God does, you know, different things. Now, verse 7, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit, the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues, languages, and to still another, the interpretation of languages. Verse 11, all these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. I ought to say that the reason why this is so... uh, heavy on emphasizing by the same spirit, by the one spirit, is because in this Greek pagan world that Paul was writing in, they believe that different abilities came from different spirits. That's why he's laboring this point, that it is by the one spirit, the one uh, Lord. But throughout this passage, he is talking through these nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. And uh, I want to take some time this morning. First of all, I'm going to talk about, just generally talk about these gifts. And then I'm going to talk about some definitions, particularly ones that we may not, aren't very, very clear to understand. And then we're going to finish and pray. Okay, so that's the plan for the next few minutes. The gifts of the Spirit. I've got four uh, introductory comments to make about the gifts of of the Spirit. First of all, the gifts of the Spirit are usually, usually experienced by people who have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. I say usually because it's not always the case. It is more normally the case, but one cannot say that they are always. People who flow in the gifts of the Spirit are people who have for example, spoken in tongues. For example, you say, well, uh, I've never spoken in tongues, but I do sometimes feel like I get like these prophetic ideas. Or I've never spoken in tongues, but I have prayed for someone at work, and they told me the next day they felt better. So, you know, God can uh, use anyone, of course, in any way. And we ought to remember that the disciples, for example, went on healing missions before the day of Pentecost. Is that right? Yes? 
And uh, there were people in the Old Testament, prophets, who did not speak in tongues. Of course, that wasn't their era to do. And, uh, and also historically, that this has happened before the great outpouring of the Spirit in Azusa Street. There were people who had, were receiving miracle healings, for example. So usually, however, usually, having talked about the exception, usually the way to start to engage in the flow of the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the the gateway uh, of that experience is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Not only because of the power of the Spirit upon one's life, but also because of a change of something inside the head. If you are able to connect with God by faith to receive the baptism of the Spirit, you are more... Like you are now in a train, you've been trained, as it were. You have passed your your test, if you like. You are beyond the doubt and unbelief barrier in some way to say, well, if God could give me this gift, God could perhaps use me in other ways. But normally, uh, the baptism in the Spirit is a, as Harold Horton says in his classic book on this topic, the divine gateway into the other gifts. In other words, we speak of speaking in tongues as the initial evidence of being baptized in the Spirit, but that's exactly what it is. It's the initial evidence. More evidence should follow after that. And uh, the wonderful example, Acts 19, verse 6, is just a great example of it. Paul lays his hands upon some people at Ephesus, and it says they spoke in tongues, and then they began to prophesy. It was like they were were fast-tracked from baptism in the Spirit to other gifts of the Holy Spirit. Number two, the gifts of the Spirit are are tools, not toys. Look again at verse 7. To each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Gifts from God are, are for others. God uh, I remember a lady I, I knew one time, and she was very, very uh, dedicated towards praying that she would look and see people's needs, their financial needs, and she would pray, God, will you give me some money to bless them? That's, uh, I don't know if you ever prayed that prayer. But she was wired like that, really wired like that, and I, was, I admired that about her. She said, Lord, will you give me some money because I need to bless this family, or I need to do this. She understood that God could uh, give her a gift, but it wasn't for her, it was for someone else. And that she was just the channel. And the gifts of the Spirit are exactly like that. They are designed for other people. They are not toys for us to play with. They are tools for us to get the job done. Uh, I don't know where you work uh, It may be that in your workplace, uh, there are certain things that you pick up as you arrive at work. You know, uh, for example, when I worked underground, you'll be thrilled to know that we were, you know, we were given a torch at work. That's good, isn't it? If you're underground, you ought to have a torch with batteries. You didn't have to bring your own torch, and you didn't have to bring your own batteries. Sometimes I wish I had, but it was available. I couldn't take the torch home, however. The torch was for people at work. So there were enough torches for us all, but you, you weren't allowed to take it home. 
because it, it wasn't supposed to be at home. You were only supposed to use it when you were at work. The gifts of the Spirit are like that. They are tools to get the job done. They aren't, they aren't toys for us to play with. And so sometimes people say, um, well, I've never seen God heal anyone when I prayed for them. And of course, the immediate question that must be asked is this, well, how many people have you prayed for? Because it's not a toy for you to play. It's, it's a tool to get the job done. And uh, so we, we, we have experience of the anointing of the Holy Spirit when we work for the Holy Spirit. So when we are engaged in the, in the gospel, when we are engaged, if you go into work tomorrow, or later on today, or Tuesday, or whenever it is, and you start to share your faith, you are going to discover that you have the power to demonstrate the gospel in your workplace. In a way that before you opened your mouth to share your faith, you didn't have. The first time, and I've, I was thinking over this week, I've never told this story, I don't think anywhere ever. The first time I saw God heal somebody, I was, I was in, the, in the youth group of the church. And uh, it was a sort of an older youth group, so I was 19, I think. I might have only been, been 18. And we were, we were sent to some little church in Cornwall, and, uh, and they asked me to be the, to, to, to be the preacher. Now, I never, yeah, never preached before, so I just get up and I just, just say, Jesus is the way. You know, I didn't know what it was, it was a good sermon, you know, but I didn't know what I was talking about. No jokes, didn't all start with the letter P, you know, you know, I just, just preached. Jesus will save you. And finishing that message, uh, 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 a lady spoke to me afterwards, we were just praying for people, and in fact, the lady was one of the, she's one of the leaders. And God healed her back then and there. And she was amazed. And I was really amazed. But it taught me something that, that it was the, there was power in the gospel. There was power with the gospel. And really, if you want to experience the power of God, you've got to go and work for God. You've got to go to work. You've got to get going with the mission of God. That's where the power of God is. It's not a toy for you to have at home. Uh, it's a tool that you can really only pick up on the job. And uh, so I want to encourage you with, with two things on that. Number one is I encourage you to get going with the work of God, whatever that might be for you. And also to encourage you that if you've never experienced the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The anointing is not for people who just come to the front and want to get some prayer. The anointing is for people who want to go and do the job. And you can go from conference to conference, and you can have a good lie down at every single one of them, but you're only really going to know the anointing of God when you get on with the job of serving God. Because God's not zapping people for no reason. God gives power to his missionaries. God gives power to his servants. And so if you will serve God, and I warn you that serving God requires a lot of work, but by serving God allows you to tap into the tools you need for the job. 
I don't have a gun at home. But if I was in the military, I hopefully wouldn't have a gun at home. But I would, I've never held a gun, but if I was in the military, I would hold a gun. You can't hold some of the precious things of God unless you work for him. And by work for him, I don't mean become a salaried minister. I mean serve him. And you will see the power of God. And if we had time, I'd take you through every single one of the promises in the Bible where we're told that the Holy Spirit will be with us, where the Lord will confirm his word. And all these promises are for people who go with the gospel. They are not for people who sit in a chair and watch a conference on on the TV. They are for people who go with the gospel. People who go with the gospel can expect to have apostolic power on their lives. So they are tools, not toys. Number three, they operate as he wills, not as we will. Look at verse 11 of chapter 12, where it says this, All these, these gifts, are the work of the one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. I think the King James says, as he wills. Is that right? As he wills. He gives them as he determines. Or as he wills. That's really important for you to get that because that is a common misconception about the gifts of the Spirit. Have you ever wondered this? These people with these healing gifts, how come people with healing gifts don't drive over to Adderbrooks right now and clear the whole hospital out? How come they don't do that? What's going on? Apart from the fact that they'd be thrown out by the staff. But other than that, why don't they do that? How come, if you have a healing gift, how come there are still plenty of people in these meetings who who are not healed? What's happening there? It's because the gifts of the Spirit operate as He determines, not as we will, but as He determines wills. And if the gifts of the Spirit operated as we willed, every single person sitting here this morning would get a prophetic word. Every single illness that you had would be stripped away from you. Everyone needing wisdom would receive it. Do you understand? If we could just dish it out as we wished... But that's a bit like a kid saying, Dad, if you really love me, you'll give me your car. And Dad says, yeah, but you're only nine. No, but come on, give me everything now. But we don't get everything now. You don't get everything now as a kid, at least you shouldn't do. And you don't get everything now as as one of the king's kids either. They operate as he determines. A person with a healing gift can no more heal everyone on every occasion than someone with a prophetic gift could give you a word every day about where you're going, what you're doing. Christianity is not supposed to be like that. It's not supposed to be like that. 
And so it is, it's a matter of saying, Lord, and, and there is a tension. There is a tension because as we'll see at the end of the message today, I'm going to talk about how we must seek the gifts of the Spirit. So there is a place where we have to eagerly desire, the Bible says, the gifts of the Spirit. Excuse me. Paul says to the Corinthians, he says, I want you to prophesy. Eagerly desire to prophesy. He says to them, excel in gifts to build up the church. So there was something for them to do. I remember uh, years ago I was in a, in a church in the north of England, or the, anyway, north of here, and, uh, and I noticed that no one in the church was using the gifts of the Spirit, and so I decided that I would. And you say, well, how could you do that? Well, in a sense you can do that because you can say, Lord, I'm going to go and I'm going to seek you for this gift. And I used to get up every Sunday morning before anyone else, except perhaps the farmers, and I used to walk around this field and I said, Lord, I'm going to go to this church today. Lord, give me a prophetic word for the church. And I would go and I would seek God for a word. I wasn't in the, part of the leadership. I was a guy sitting two-thirds back in the church. I, was, I had no involvement with it at all, except I just used to attend there. But I noticed that there was a lack of spiritual gifts, and so I was going to fill that gap if that was the will of God. And so there is this tension, and God would give me all sorts of, uh, all sorts of information, and I, I, I learned how to flow in the Spirit there. But it began with me sitting in my room thinking, Lord, I want to seek you for this. And the gifts of the Spirit must be sought. The truth is that most people are seeking after an iPad uh, more than they're seeking after a gift of the Holy Spirit. Or most people are seeking after you know, some secular, ordinary thing more than they are seeking after the gifts of the Spirit. We, we just need to change that in our, in our minds. We need to change it in our minds. So they operate as he wills, not as we will. That's why you can't function without the unction. That's why people who use spiritual gifts should never be put under pressure to perform. Because there's a danger to flow in the flesh, therefore. Well, there's an expectation on me to prophesy, so I'd better. Well, this can end up in disaster, can't it? They operate as he wills, not as we will. But we play our part in seeking him. It can be imparted by others, number four. In Romans 1 verse 11, Paul says, I longed to come to you at Rome, and he wasn't able to do so. The book of Romans is Paul sending a memo to say, I can't make it. <laughs> that's what the book of Romans is. So that's at least how it begins. I'd love to have been there, but I can't make it. Oh, by the way, by the way here's 16 chapters of, of great, great theology coming up. But it's really a memo to say he can't make it. But he says in verse 11 of chapter 1, Romans, he says, I long to come to you that I might impart some spiritual gift to you. Now, he doesn't necessarily say that that's a, gift of the Spirit like we're talking about here. It may be, it may not be, but over in 
uh, 1 Timothy 4.14 and 2 Timothy 1.6. There's huge bits of data. If you don't know these passages, write them down or have a look at them now. Where Paul says, speaking of Timothy, on two occasions he says that when the body of elders laid hands upon Timothy, he received gifts from the Holy Spirit. And he mentions it twice, not once, in two different books. And so it is possible to receive gifts of the Spirit from others. Now, I want to just take a moment to talk about that. Because it's equally possible not to receive from anyone other than the Lord. But it's the same with the baptism in the Spirit. Some people are baptized in the Spirit because people lay hands upon them in church. Other people receive the Holy Spirit just on their own at home. And so we're not being too prescriptive about this. But people do, people are able to somehow impart their gifts one to another. Now, it's not often, it's certainly not something that happens even every year, let alone every week. But it can happen. When I began this prophetic ministry, this is 1991, uh, slowly but surely, people started to knock on my door. And they would say, look, I, we noticed you prophesying. Can you pray for me? Because I'd like to prophesy. And what I would do, because I learned this at a very, very early stage of my Christian development. So this is, this is not my wisdom. This was given to me. I said, I will pray for you. But first, let's sit down and let's open the word. And I will teach you about this gift from the word. That your faith in your ability to flow in the spirit will not rest upon the fact that I'm going to pray for you but will rest upon your understanding and your belief in the Word of God. Can you say amen? And that, that's so crucial. That's so crucial. Many will know that in 2005, an Australian evangelist came here whose impact upon my ministry was colossal. And after he left, the healings continued here in the church. He had a great healing gift. When he left, the healings continued in the church. And now I can travel all over the place and see uh, very similar results to that evangelist that are in my life. Did he impart some gift to me when he was here? I believe so. But there was more to it than just that impartation. It wasn't just a moment of hands upon me. There was much more than that. There was him modeling it in front of me so I could learn how to do it. There was him calling me on the phone to encourage me long after he'd gone. There was one occasion when he was traveling, I think, to Germany, and he was going to stop off at Stansted. So by the grace of God, I had some free time, and I got in a car, I drove to Stansted, and I had, uh, can you call it lunch at Stansted? I don't know what it was. It was like 25 quid, but it was some food. And, uh, and he wanted me to pay and all. And we, uh, I bought him whatever it was, sandwich or something for 30 pounds and we 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 ate together in Stansted airport just so I could have half an hour with him to learn a bit more so impartation is a powerful new testament principle but there's much more to it than just yabba dabba do at the front I can impart so much to you because people have imparted so much to me but it doesn't just come through hands and a bit of prayer it comes through teaching, it comes through encouragement, it comes through scripture, it comes through mentoring, it comes through guidance. 
That's the role of the impartation of one ministry to another. Over the week, we got out our wedding pictures again. And uh, where normally you look and see how thin you are, uh, but uh, I look better now. And um, so that's nice. We're thinking of having them digitally altered. And, uh, but as I look, I can see my pastor standing with him, my pastor standing with me. And I owe so much to him because his ministry, he rubbed it off on me. Do you understand? But he didn't do it through a quick prayer while someone was playing the piano. He did it over years, didn't he? Pouring his wisdom into the congregation and I sat there with an empty cup saying, fill me up, fill me up. I'm learning, I'm learning. I wrote it all down. I got hold of his tapes. I learned all sorts of stuff. I received an impartation. If you want to have a prophetic ministry or you want to have the gift of prophecy, well, you ought to get around someone who's got the gift of prophecy and learn from them. They can pray for you, but, but you want to learn from them. How do you do that? Don't you ever want to sit someone down and say, how did you know that? And ask some you know, practical questions. I remember, again, I was preaching in Cornwall again, funnily enough, many, many years ago. And God gave me a word of knowledge about a lady at the back. And uh, she came out the front and received some prayer. And on the way home, the couple were driving me there. It was their friends of theirs. It was their church. So I was, they drove me there. and were going to drive me back. And on the way back, all the lady could say was, how did you know that about her? Because it wasn't enough for me to say, well, God told me. No, but how did he tell you? Do you ever want to ask that question? And this is what impartation is about. Learning from one another. Anyway, I've said too much about that. So gifts of the Spirit are normally experienced by people who've received the baptism. They are tools, not toys. You can't be empowered by God unless you're going to work for God. Number three, they operate as he wills, not as we will, as he determines, not as we determine. And they can at times be imparted by others. Um, now, just get on to some definitions. Spiritual gifts are often divided into three categories. And I'm going to bring them all up. Let's just bring them all up so we can see them. These categories are not in the Bible as such. They are, they are arbitrary categories. Uh, I just think they're helpful, but, but uh, uh, they're not biblical, if you see what I mean by that. They are just helpful to, to look at them in this way. There, is three, there are nine gifts mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12. And in three groups normally, vocal uh, gifts... Power gifts and inspiration gifts. And as we will see, as we just, just spend a few minutes just to talk about them now, many of them overlap. So if someone is going to prophesy, you would expect someone prophesying to have a degree of um, uh, knowledge and wisdom, for example, about what they are saying. If you are going to see miracles happen, you would expect that person is operating with a gift of faith as well. And uh, so uh, sometimes they overlap and it's hard to, um, it's hard really to 
distinguish one thing from another thing. Uh, and one is left to say, well, more than one gift is in operation uh, as this manifestation occurs. Um, let's just, just look at them, and I just want to pick out a few of them that may be less obvious to uh, understand. First of all, let's put in an, uh, a kind of a rider to this. If you were to go out this afternoon and buy a book in a Christian bookshop, well, it's probably shut. If you go to out tomorrow, buy a book in a Christian bookshop. The Gifts of the Spirit. Most books sold like this, and I'm not, not criticizing them especially, but most, gifts, most books would be very, uh, what's the word, dogmatic about what these gifts are. This gift is this. And this gift is this. And they kind of spell it out. I just want to throw in just a little word of caution about that, which is really, sometimes we don't really know exactly what Paul had in his mind when he dictated this chapter. For example, what is the difference between someone having a word of knowledge and a word of wisdom? What is the difference between those things? You may have a brilliant answer to that. But sometimes, can you understand, it's kind of difficult to know. And, and even, let's just take word of knowledge by way of example. What did Paul mean? What did Paul mean when he said, to one person is given a word of knowledge? What does that mean? Now today, it normally means getting up and going, there's somebody here called John. Right? That's sort of what it normally means. But we don't really know that that's exactly what Paul meant or how it would be, how that gift would be used in, 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 in his day. Do you understand what I mean by that? So it's a little bit difficult to, to understand. That said, we're going to try and define them. But I've already said that there's a word of caution about that. So some, first of all, the vocal gifts. These ones we're probably more familiar with because we see them demonstrated in King's Church all the time. The gift of prophecy, uh, prophecy being a word of encouragement from heaven to you, to build you up, to uh, give you hope for the future. And by the way, I'm not just making up that, that phrase, that is something I've thought about for years. Prophecy should build you up and give you hope for the future. If it does not, it is probably not prophecy. Prophecy is not the Christian equivalent of going to Blackpool and talking to uh, Mystic Meg on the pier. And she looks at you and says, you're going to see the mountains. It's, it's not that. Prophecy is not supposed to tell you your future. Prophecy is really there. There can be a predictive element, but prophecy is really there to encourage you in your present, actually. To bring God's point of view to your present. And it should always leave you feeling built up. In such a case, I want to then encourage you, if you would ever use the gift of prophecy, to remember that. That its job is for edification, exhortation, and comfort. Building people up. Making them uh, feel taller than they were before. Bear that in mind. 
speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues. These are topics that we have looked at over these last few weeks. The ability to speak in other languages. It's not being brilliant at German or French. It's a supernatural ability. And the interpretation, not translation, but the interpretation uh, of what was said. And anyway, we covered all this last week, really. Now let's look at these power gifts. The working of miracles. The gifts of healings. What's interesting is that in the original uh, Greek of this, it's not the gift of healing. It's the gifts of healings. And maybe we're supposed to see something there. Maybe we're not. But maybe we're supposed to see something interesting there. Uh, For example, people who have healing ministries, just by anecdote, just by empirical observation, you find that they uh, tend to have a good deal of success, for want of a better term, in one particular area. Uh, uh, For example, we were looking on Thursday night at uh, Stephen Jeffries. Stephen Jeffries saw the most colossal of miracles in the 1930s, 40s, late 1920s. The most extraordinary miracles. But he was really, now I'm going to use a silly phrase, but he was really good at opening blind eyes. He would lay hands upon blind people. There was a huge guarantee that they were going to see. On Thursday night, we looked at the instance where he put his thumbs into uh, the dulled, empty sockets of a girl's face who had no eyes, and eyes formed in place, pushing back his thumbs from her face. And I have a friend still alive who witnessed that miracle and conveyed it to me a few years ago. Amen. He had a particular ability in that area. Some people uh, who have healing ministries will see more success in certain areas. And, and maybe this is more than just observation or anecdote. Maybe that people have gifts of healings. Different kinds of abilities. Uh, where they are more likely to see success in certain cases than others. A specialism, if you like. Anyway, uh, we, maybe we just need to think about that one. People say, well, what's the difference between working a miracle and, and um, a healing? Well, there's a lot of differences, isn't there? Turning water into wine is a miracle, isn't it? But it's not a healing. Multiplying bread and fish is a miracle, but it's, but it's not a healing. You might think, oh, I'm really glad I've eaten, but it wasn't really a healing. The parting of the Red Sea is it's, it's a miracle, but, but it's not a healing. Telling Peter, go catch a fish, and there's money for, for the tax bill in his mouth, that's a miracle. I'd like that miracle. Where should we go and fish? I'd like that miracle. But it's not a healing. In fact, it was a bit grim for the fish. Can you say amen? So there are all sorts of miracles, but they are not healings. Shall I tell you a story? Sometimes it's dangerous to be a pastor. Did you know that? One time I was counseling a girl and she decided she was going to strangle me 
Don't you try it. She was a bit crazy, and she decided she was going to strangle me. Now, what do you do? I know many of you have not been to Barber College, but there, there sure isn't a course on how to do Kung Fu on people. Or, you know. It's not good as a pastor to physically punch people, is it? She wanted to strangle me. And she went to strangle me. So I stood there. I could tell you this was, uh, this was 2002. And it was in this building. It was in that back room there. I'm stood there. And I'm holding her wrists. And she's trying to strangle me. And you start to think, now, I wonder what we do now. I'm stopping you from strangling me. You're not going to strangle me. I'm stronger than you, but I don't know what we're going to do now. Are you going to decide to change your mind? Uh, Time goes quite slow in that that instance. Time to think about what we're going to do now. I've got hold of her wrists. I'm thinking, I haven't got your legs. You could do something dangerous here. But then I could too, so I don't know what we're going to do. And I really didn't know what to do. So I did something rather odd. I've never done it before. And I haven't done it since. I could not, I wished, I wished for a third hand, you know, to gently push her back from me. All within the bounds of the law. But I didn't have a third hand, but I did have my mouth. Now I didn't kiss her, in case that's what you're thinking. <laughs> Kissing her was not on my agenda before and certainly not after. So all I could do was, I blew on her. I blew on her. And when I blew on her, she was thrown back across the room and fell on the floor. As true as I'm standing here. Problem solved. And she was unconscious. It was a miracle, wasn't it? I thought, how am I going to explain this to the police? (laughs) Did you use a deadly weapon? I used the Holy Ghost officer. But I did. I blew on her. And she fell out. She didn't know she had to fall out. She wasn't trained by charismatic preachers to fall out. It was power. Now, it only happened once. You understand it. I don't go at home. And I've got a sneeze coming on. And Jane thinks, right, run. And I, shoo, and she's like thrown across the sofa and into the backyard as he determines. Boy, it was amazing. It was amazing. And when I tell you now, I think about it, you know. God knocked her out. And I was pleased. She was okay. She didn't try and strangle me again. But it was a miracle. But it wasn't a healing. And God could, do, God could do miracles. Miracles that are not healings. Now, of course, if you're going to operate in miracles, sometimes a great faith will need to arise in you. The gift of faith. And I've told my gift of faith story far too many times to tell it again. But there are times when you might see people ministering and you think, what are they doing? You know, it's incredible what they're 
How do they believe God? And I, I just want to give you, I'll give you a little trade secret. They don't believe God until they're in that zone. Right? Do you understand? When they're in the zone, maybe the zone's not the right word, but you, when they're in that atmosphere of faith. One time I was in a tiny meeting in Brazil, by tiny, about 100 people, which is very low in Brazil. And I was preaching away, and suddenly the power went. And so the microphones had gone, and uh, the fans went off. And uh, I thought, I don't need a microphone, I can carry on preaching. Just, just my voice will do it. I carried on preaching, and the interpreter tried to preach loud as well. And then I realized about 20 minutes later why we needed power. It wasn't for the mics, it was these fans. <laughs> it started feeling a bit hot. But I remember in that meeting, a lady came out, and I got all, oh, there's a whole lot of youth there. And I said, come here, I want you all to gather around here. And they all gather around. I said, how many of you have ever seen a miracle? And I, I, I don't know what they said. Said in Portuguese, yes, no. I said, would you like to see a miracle right now? And I called a lady. I said, now, she could not move her arm. I said, move it. And it moved. And she was free, right in front of them. And they were like, whoa. And when I think about that, do you know what I think? I think, whoa. But at the time, I didn't think about it. Because I was in a different realm. So there is such a thing as a gift of faith. But you can't turn it on and turn it off. You have to go to work to tap into these things. You have to stand there in your workplace or stand among your family and declare the goodness of God and then believe God then. It's a jacket that you can only put on when you're at work. Word of knowledge, word of wisdom. Well, first of all, distinguishing spirits. I won't comment on because, of course, I have a marvelous book out about this topic. And I'd hate for you not to want to buy it. But uh, distinguishing spirits is a really difficult one to interpret. It's probably nothing to do with the ability to see angels or demons or things like this. It's much more likely to be to do with the uh, ability that prophets have to be able to weigh up their prophetic words. And thus it's a kind of a, just like interpretation of tongues is a gift connected with the speaking in tongues. The discerning of spirits is like a gift that's married to the gift of prophecy. But uh, anyway, that's a whole other, other topic to discuss. But only in as much as its practical application is that if God is speaking to you about something, it might be good for you to go and talk to someone with a prophetic ministry and let them help you to understand it. Because they have an ability through their experience and maybe through even a gift like this to distinguish between what is good and what is not good. What is, if you like, genuinely from God and what is just simply from the flesh. We're not talking about counterfeit or some you know, devil talking to you, but just, that's just not really the case. Word of knowledge. All throughout the Bible, God seems to talk to people and give them information. And maybe, it's my belief by the way, but I'm just trying to be fair. It's my belief that this is the word of knowledge in operation. Howard Horton called it a fragment 
of divine information. He was very clear to teach that it was a word of knowledge. I remember one time I called out someone in this church and uh, understood that uh, w- w- you know, what they were going to do next in their life. Like I had some knowledge about them. And as I shared the knowledge with them, they said, that's marvelous. And then what? I said, well, I don't know. I just had the next bit. And like any good uh, person wanting to plan out their life, they wanted to know the next ten steps. Here, here's a, here's a word for you. God doesn't always give us the next ten steps, but God is faithful to tell us what we should do next. Can you say amen? So all you need to do is to know what you need to do next. You don't necessarily need to know what you're going to do the time after that and the time after that, but you do need to know what you're going to do next. So I I was able to share with them the next step, and they fulfilled it, by the way. It all came to pass. Uh, But not the next bit after that. It is just a fragment of knowledge. It's a fragment of knowledge. Have a look in your Bible again. Why don't you go over to 2 Kings chapter 6. And here's a great example of the word of knowledge in the Old Testament. There are loads of these in the Bible. Uh, Jesus is sitting with a Samaritan woman. And he knows about her family history, doesn't he? Right? Go call your husband, John chapter 4. Oh, I have no husband. That's right. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now, you're not married to him. He knew about her. And what, by the way, what the Pentecostals did is they took the gifts of the Spirit and they scattered them across the characters of the Bible. By that I mean, before the operation of the gifts of the Spirit, people just assumed that Christ just knew everything because he was Christ. But the Pentecostal theology of Jesus was he was a man with the Holy Spirit in him using the gifts of the Spirit just like we can today. Now that may not be your understanding of Christ, but I'm just explaining that's how people began to understand these things. So Jesus says at one time in Mark, is it 14, he says, I want you to go into the street and you'll see a man carrying a pitcher of water, follow him and he'll take you to a house where we're going to have the Passover. How did he know that? How did Jesus know that as they came, a man would walk along? Very unusual for a man to carry water, by the way, in that, in that um, time. How did Jesus know that a man would walk by with a, with a, you know, carrying water? How did he know that? Well, perhaps he knew it because he had a word of knowledge. Ananias and Sapphira came to Peter and they said, here's the money we've sold, we've sold our land, here's the offering. Acts chapter 5, Peter says, you've lied. What was he doing? Looking at their body language? What was he doing? Did he have a lie detector test? Just, why don't you just go out with Graham and the, and the Jeremy Kyle team and we'll just see if you're telling the truth about this, this here uh, offering. No, the Holy Spirit told him they were lying. He had knowledge about them. He had knowledge about what they'd done. God gave him uh, knowledge. Here's a great one in the Old Testament. 2 Kings chapter 6. And verse 9, let's pick it up in verse 8. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. 
the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. How did he know that? How did Elijah know that? Because God told him, well, you, you, you better not go there. And in the end, the king of Aram gets really cheesed off. Look at verse 11. This enraged the king of Aram. And he summoned his officers and demanded them, will you not tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? You know, who's the spy? And this is one of the greatest verses in the Bible. Verse 12. None of us, my lord, the king, said one of the officers, but Elisha, the prophet, who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. (laughs) He knew things. Elisha knew things. God seemed to give him knowledge. Another great one is Isaiah 45 and verse 1, where Isaiah predicts that a ruler will emerge called Cyrus, a Persian king. And he names him as Cyrus. He names him. Cyrus is coming. Cyrus hadn't been born then. But generations before he even existed, he even knows his name. When I was in Torquay, uh, I went to bed one night, one Saturday night. And I had a very strange dream. And in the dream, now, I'm running a risk telling you this story because you might think I'm a bit strange. Or maybe you think I'm a bit stranger. But in the dream, I dreamt about a couple in the church. They were a lovely couple in the church. Dating, they were. And in the dream, now how can I tell you this? You know what I'm going to say? I dreamt that they were doing things that an unmarried couple ought not ye to do. Now don't go, what sort of dreams does he have? (laughs) That's what I dreamt. I thought, well, I've had a bit too much pizza. So um, I couldn't blame it on X Factor in those days. It was long before that. So uh, I just came into church and we had the meeting Sunday morning. And uh, I was the assistant pastor there. And we were finishing up. We finished the meeting and I was walking out with my colleague, with with my pastor really. We were locking the doors, and I thought, I'm just going to tell him. I said, actually, uh, it was funny seeing, let me call them Tom and Susan in today. That's not what they were called. It was good seeing Tom and Susan. I said, actually, I had a dream about them last night. And I remember he was just locking the doors. I said, I dreamt that they were doing, well, I said something. I said, they were doing things that a married couple, an unmarried couple ought not ye to do. And he stopped. And he looked at me. <laughs> I was sitting there with a key in the door. He looked at me. He said, I dreamt the same last night. I dreamt the same dream as as that. (laughs) Well, we had a bit of knowledge, didn't we? We had a bit of knowledge that God was pleased to confirm between us as the pastors of that church. What's the difference between a word of knowledge and prophecy? Very simple one. Prophecy will always be spoken out, but a word of knowledge may not be spoken out. It's information for you to use. 
We didn't sit Tom and Susan down and go, ha, 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 ha. Behold, thou hast been naughty. No, no, no. But we counseled them aright. Without revealing, they were never told about our dream. And they never will be. They're married now, by the way. I'm friends with her on Facebook, actually. Perhaps I should send her a message this afternoon. How are you getting on? But we use the knowledge to help them. A word of wisdom is something that I guess the the best example would be Solomon in the Bible, where he knew what to do with those two women, you remember? They They both claimed that the child was theirs. He said, well, have the child cut in two. And they were astounded at his wisdom. There's another verse in Acts chapter 6 where it says Stephen was preaching and it says they couldn't stand up against him because of the spirit and because of the wisdom by which he spoke. Sometimes uh, God will grant you incredible wisdom. How does this manifest in King's Church today? Actually it manifests quite a lot. It manifests quite a lot, but it's not a spectacular gift because it tends to operate just one-on-one. Sometimes I'll meet with people. Now, this is just my experience. You may, have, you may have your own. But I'll meet with people and we're talking and they have a very difficult situation. Their marriage or their life or their finances or something. And we're just talking and I'm telling you the truth. Suddenly, suddenly, I know what they have to do. And I say it very, very humbly. Because I, in my own natural head, I haven't got a clue what they're going to do. But suddenly, I know what they have to do. And normally, it just changes. It's one small thing. And so I said, I'll suddenly say, I think you should do this. I will drive home and Jane will say to me, wow, where do you get, you know, where do you get that from? I said, I don't know. I never thought of that before we were sat there. But we've a God who talks. We've got a God who talks. What's the best gift of the Spirit? The one you need at the time. It's the one you need at the time. And some of our lives are really complicated, aren't they? We don't know what we're supposed to do. What does the Bible say? If anyone lacks wisdom, let them ask of God. I'll throw this out just for free. But some people are seeking words from God when actually what God is offering is wisdom, not words. Some people want some prophetic guidance. Actually what God is promising to give, if we ask him, is not a spectacular prophecy, but he's offering to give wisdom to us whenever we ask. Perhaps we should ask a bit more, don't you think? These are manifestations of the Holy Spirit. So in this church, we see, we see many of these. By the grace of God, we, we see many of these. 
but we need to see many more uh, according to the, the will of God. But going back to that whole tension about is it God's will to do it? Is it our will to, to engage with it? It was Smith Wigglesworth, one of the heroes of the course we've just been doing on Thursday nights, who said this, when God is not moving, I move God. And by that, which sounds terribly reverent, but what he meant was that he lays hold of the promises of God. That God would open up scenarios. God would give him information. That God would grant to him the gift of prophecy. These verses, just to leave you with 1 Corinthians 12, verse 31. Chapter 14 and verse 1. Verse 12, verse 39, they all say this, be eager to, be eager to seek earnestly. King James, I think, says zealously pursue or something like that. The gifts of the Spirit. Ones that build up the church. And we want God to feel at liberty to move among us through these gifts of the Spirit. I want us to honor them, not honor the people who are used in them, but honor the gifts of the Spirit. Let's not despise them. Some, of course, who prophesy will make mistakes. Some will say, I have some knowledge, when in fact it isn't really God. But we stand to honor everyone who in faith steps out. And uh, whenever we have gifts of the Spirit, you always, have, you always have some mistakes. You always have times when people miss it. That doesn't make them false prophets. So if you want to be a church policeman, you better go and police another church. Uh, because the Bible says that things have to be tested. And so there is no infallibility with these things. But faith opens a door that allows the voice of God and the power of God to be at work in our meetings and in our ministries and in our lives together. You should expect God to speak to you in godly conversations. You should expect wisdom to flow in just godly conversations. This week, I'll finish with this, this week I sat with a group of friends of mine. We were just sitting having, where were we? Upstairs in Waterstones Bookshop. Went in for a book, ended up with a drink. How did that happen? But we're upstairs there, and as we're just talking together, the most incredible flow of the Holy Ghost really happening there, around that table, just encouraging us, making us feel taller, encouraging us, making us feel that there's hope for the future. It doesn't have to be in church, but it has to be among a godly unity such as we had. So I want to encourage you, whether you are going to be a spectator of these gifts or whether a participator in them, I want to encourage you, let us honor the work of the Holy Spirit here and encourage those who minister in that way. Because moving in the Holy Spirit is normally 10% power and 90% courage. But more on that another time.
Thank you for listening and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.